welcome. Uh, we are in the uh, studios of Marysville Church of the Nazarene, and we're prepared for another podcast and do it a little bit differently this week. Uh, instead of doing it by Zoom, where we're all at home, we're at the church and actually uh, sitting right at a table together, which will be kind of fun uh, as we talk about scripture together. And so uh, Mara's with me and Josh, Pastor Josh and, and Pastor Mara. And so Mara, why don't you give us a little bit of the series background? All right, so we are still in the middle of this series um, called Epic, and um, I love this is kind of going to branch over the whole summer. Just we are on this journey with the Israelites as they're moving out of slavery and into the promised land. Um, but we don't want to see this just as us rereading someone else's history. We really want to find ourselves in this story. Um, this month we've talked a lot about how um, shifting our perspective and aligning it with God's perspective helps us to see our place and our part in this this larger epic story. So we're going to continue this idea of how we see things. Um, if it is in contrast to how God sees them, that can that can lead us astray. And we really want to bring our perspective in line with his. That's good. Good. Josh, go ahead and give us a you read or give us an overview of scripture. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to read the scripture, but but basically we're, we're in Joshua 3 and 4. And uh, basically where we're at in the story is um, the people of God are uh, getting ready to finally cross into uh, the promised land. And, and to do so, they have to cross the Jordan. And, uh, and so there's kind of a lot of parallels that we'll talk about, I think, uh, with, with crossing the Red Sea. But they're, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan. And, and basically, God instructs them to uh, have the priests, the leaders, uh, kind of get their feet wet, go out into the, to the river, um, and then when that happens, the river dries up and, uh, and, and the people uh, are able to go. Uh, the, the priests, the leaders, they wait until everybody is across and then they go across and then the water comes back. Uh, but they've made it across the river. And then uh, God kind of gives these instructions to set up uh, these memorial stones, these stacks of stones just to, to remember. And, and, and the scripture clearly says, uh, when your children ask you about these stones, you make sure that you tell them. Uh, about what God has done for you. And so uh, all of this time, this wandering has, has led up to this moment where they're ready to cross the Jordan, ready to cross into the promised land. Uh, and there's these, these moments of God instructing them to remember what has happened. And so uh, that's two chapters of, uh, of Joshua in a very brief nutshell. <laughs> Joshua 3 and 4 in a nutshell. Yeah, yes. <clears throat> and so we, we see the ark and it's, it's representing God's presence, um, just, just like I think we began this series with the idea that the tabernacle was not just to tell them about the presence of God, but to set the course and direction of their life. And, and, and so the, the, the tabernacle is, the ark is setting the direction. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think this prompts the question, how, how do we follow? Are, are we good followers? Uh, you know, th throughout this series, we talk about this epic journey. We're not on our own epic journey. We're on God's epic journey. Yeah. And when we don't follow, um, we're, we're missing missing the point of these stories. So how do we make sure we're good followers? So uh, as, I was, as I was thinking of this, the tabernacle, um, and, you know, we're, we're following the tabernacle. They were following the tabernacle, following the course of God. It, it, it was dependent on good leadership. Um, so like there were leaders that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. So I guess, I don't know if this is a good answer, but being good followers starts with having good leadership. Mm, that's good. That's Maybe. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And I think about like the priestly line, like the tribe, like Levites, 
from the time they were children were raised to know that that was going to be their their purpose they were raised up to be that priesthood and so I do feel like there was maybe a little more um, responsibility placed on them this idea of of living a life that others would want to follow Mm -hmm. and also then um, knowing that yeah as God called them that they were going to be in that Mm -hmm. position of leadership so as, yeah. as leaders in this church, we're, we're called, if, if we're just leading uh, where we want to go yeah. and we're not leading where God's following or leading us, mm-hmm. uh, then we have a responsibility for, for those that yeah. we lead be, yeah. because ho- hopefully people do see us mm-hmm. and, 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 and follow our lead and things. And so that's a the very important thing. And Josh, you, you noted uh, at, at, at some of our notes at the bottom how the priest had to wait for everybody to get through. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what's that implications so, of that? Well, so uh, so first, just back on, on just in the whole being good followers requires good leadership, but but then as I'm thinking that, then the leaders have to be good followers in order to lead well, right? So it's just like this full circle of following and leading um, is kind of fascinating. In order to in order to lead well, we have to follow well, right? <laughs> um, well, you'll you'll have some theologians that will really push back because in the church there's been a lot of leadership training mm-hmm. and uh, you know Maxwell has done a lot of leadership yeah. being a good Christian yeah. preacher all, all that stuff and, and I have had classes in, in some of my um, uh, postgraduate work where some of the uh, theologians really push back hard against that concept of leadership mm-hmm. uh, that we're yeah. not called to lead mm-hmm. we're called to follow and right. in our following we set the pace yeah and so uh, i don't know maybe, maybe it's uh yeah maybe you're trying to uh slice it too thin there but yeah. but, but i think there is a an, sure that, that if we're worried about leading people in the way we want to go we're missing the point yeah right right and almost that idea that if there's leaders then there has to be followers so some people get to be leaders some people have to be followers but i like that idea that we all are followers mm. um, yeah. followers of jesus followers of of christ and so there is that extent that yeah, sometimes you're walking behind a person that's ahead of you, so you are following them and they seem to be leading you, but you kind of want to look ahead of where are they going? And yeah. am, I, am I following them the mm. way that I need to be going? Right. Yeah. And, and even in you know the church, you, you typically look at pastors, you look at Sunday school teachers, church board members as, as leaders of your church, but, but the truth is when, when we look at the, the kingdom, the kingdom's an upside down kingdom oftentimes, yeah. and, and oftentimes it's the least of these that leads us. And, right. You know, I remember several years ago we had, I, I can't remember the little girl's name that, that organized or spearheaded our Christmas. Yeah, the uh, blankets. And so, you know, th- this yeah. is an invitation from your pastor. Just, just because you're not in an official leadership <laughs> position, uh, that you're not elected to a leadership position, mm-hmm. you still lead. And, yeah. and we still need uh, to, to we, we want to follow yeah. God. And sometimes God uses uh, different people to, to provide mm-hmm. that direction. Yeah, and I think about this phrase, like servant leadership, because if you think about these people, you're talking about the, the leaders in our church, our Sunday school teachers, like when you think about the amount of service that they put into that, it is not an elite position. It is not a position for them to receive commendation, but it is they are in that position because of the way that they are serving mm. and pouring into other right. people. So, yeah, I do feel like that kind of flips it upside down. They are not being served, but they are serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Which So that reminds me, I, I know you'd asked one of the other things that I, I noted here but another thing is is this idea though of the priesthood of all believers right um, because in this story the leaders that were standing in the middle of a river while everybody was crossing were the priests um, and so in now um, 
we we live in this mindset of priesthood of all believers and so it's not this like well some people are lead like there's only a select few that are, are priests or, or leaders like we're all called to be it's the priesthood of all believers and so i think that what you guys are talking about there that uh, of, of everyone mainly leading us in that uh, service that's what we're all called to do which is a huge paradigm shift. If if we see, if every believer is a priest, mm-hmm. and 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 you know that's the the, the mantra of the uh, the Reformation, priesthood yeah. of all believers. Mm-hmm. If everyone in our church that is a believer is a priest, and and in the Israelites camp, the priest would be in the middle of the camp, the tabernacle would be in the middle of the camp, and these priests served as intercessors for everyone else mm-hmm. and so if if god is doing something different through the church what that means is that the church is intended to be the priest in the center of the camp for everybody mm-hmm. and we serve as intercessors not just for people in the church right. and not just for our family but for everybody in our community yeah. the church is called to be this intercessor between them and God mm-hmm. and so that means that not only do we have a call to reach people that may not have put their faith in Christ mm-hmm. uh, not, not only is it something we should do we have a responsibility yeah. Right. That, that when we stand before God, just like a priest would be responsible for his flock, our, our flock may not be in this building. Mm, right. Our flock lives in the neighborhood yeah. around us. And so it really heightens um, mm. our responsibility. And Josh, does, you, you does. made an awesome observation about the priest yeah. as far as, as those lagging behind. Yeah, uh, it was just so as I was reading through that and, and uh, the idea that the priest went in, uh, stood in the river while everyone crossed. And, and I, I just had this, this image in my head of, um, of them being there and not everybody in that community, because this is the entire community that is, that is walking through. And if I think of a community, I don't have to think of a community that's very big to be able to see that there's going to be some people that are lagging behind um, for whatever reason. They're not good at walking. <laughs> they're not able to walk well, um, age or injuries or, or anything. And so I'm just kind of picturing uh, the priests there and, and, and the people are walking through and some of them are, you know, they're they're able to run and they're able to rush and uh, and, and they get through fast, but, but there's going to be some that are lagging behind. And so I just, I was just envisioning the priests who are there, you know, they've got to be excited to get there um, because this is what they've been waiting for. And so they've got to have that excitement, but they kind of, in that moment, um, it wasn't about them getting over there really quickly. It was about making sure that their entire community from the fastest one to the slowest one, for whatever reason, um, made it across that river. And so they kind of set aside that um, maybe excitement that they had for themselves for the good of every single person in that community, and I just thought, man, what a what a great picture of leadership um, to be able to set aside like my hopes and desires, which were not wrong, um, but to make sure that that every single in, person in the community is taken care of. I just think it's a it was a pretty uh, fascinating picture of leadership that was that was there that popped out at me. Yeah, and as you're talking, I'm also thinking, not only were they excited and happy, but I feel like there had to have been a, a sense of, of 
fear, uncertainty, as I mean, they're standing in the middle of what was a <laughs> yeah. flooded river. This yeah. was not a stream. This was not, yeah. this was a, a river overflowing its banks. And so at this point they have led the people into the river and then they're kind of stuck yep. there yep. in the river, exactly. in that moment of like, it, it felt like at any moment the river could just as quickly as yep. it dried up, come back. And so I do feel like there had to have been some sense of like, okay, we led them in here and we're just kind of, we're here yeah. in the middle yeah. until everyone comes. And so, and then everyone mm. is getting to walk by and affect their testament of faith. The fact yeah. that they walked into the river to begin with, like they were exercising faith and their entire community gets to walk by and yeah. witness them standing there in faith in the middle mm. Of a river yeah, that is yeah, dried up, and so I just think I'm like they had to be a point where they had to kind of swallow down any of their fear, any mm -hmm. of their uncertainty for their community. And I wondered if some of the people lagging behind were the ones that were not so certain that sure. if they walked in there, the river wasn't just going to come back and sweep yeah. them away. And so kind of encouraging even hmm. the people that yeah. were not as certain to to come along. And and you can imagine the priest having their family going by. Mm. So those they love, mm -hmm. those, and some of these lagging behind may be people they don't know, <laughs> mm -hmm. or I know it would never be in the church or anyone uh, in, in this, this group, but maybe someone they don't like as much, <laughs> uh, but yeah. they're willing to wait for yeah. maybe the person sure. that's a little bit of a, you know, yeah. if, if they're lagging behind, they yeah. may be a little bit of a... Um, <laughs> A difficult a personality, literal stick. A little bit of patience, uh, even in that. And yeah, so, yeah, that's for sure. That's that's the hardest part of um, leadership for me. I mean, I'll be real, real vulnerable here. That man, I am ready to go. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm not great at waiting, and yeah. uh, and uh, and so. But sometimes, if we want to effectively wait or lead, we we've got to learn mm. to wait yeah. and be patient. Yeah. And again, so then again, carrying that component of leadership into the idea of priesthood of all believers. Um, you know, it's not just us as right. pastoral leadership that are concerned for the community. That's the that's the call of the entire community as the priesthood of all believers um, that we all take on that that kind of mindset um, for the good of the community. You know, that, and and I think that's an attitude. The attitude is. No one's, we don't feel anyone's saved until everyone's saved. Hmm. Yeah, because it's a community. I mean, I think that's biblical. The, the idea of salvation for communities, like, is a very biblical thing as opposed to, you know, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to heaven and, I, and I'm good. Um, hmm. I think the biblical concept is more along the lines of an entire community. Yeah. Because we don't fully realize it until it does include everyone else. Right. Like, yeah, the good for news sure. for me is only good mm -hmm. news if it's good news for everyone, yeah. too. Yeah. So that means we're willing to stand in the river hmm. and stand in a little bit of um, tension and uncomfortable uh, because we believe that there's people that we're drawing into, yeah. into faith and into community, into the kingdom. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Mark, talk about your note there a little bit. So as I was rereading the story this morning, um, I feel like in my mind I'd always thought about they pulled 12 stones out of the river and stacked them up. And honestly, if somebody wants to explain this to me more, that I would love to hear more about this because I genuinely, I'm, I'm like, as I'm rereading this, it almost seems to me like there are two different stacks of stones. As I was rereading a couple of the verses, it seemed like they did, they said pull 12 of them out of the river, but then also it says to stack 12 of them where the priests were standing. And so what we've been talking about, if the priests are standing in the river, then that would have meant that they were building a memorial or a stack of stones 
in the middle of the river that was eventually going to be covered again. So those stones wouldn't be able to be seen. Um, but then there was going to be a second stack that they built at their camp. And like Josh said, like they said, they put those stacks there so that when their kids asked about those stones, they could tell them their story. They could tell them their history. But then I was realizing the stones at the bottom of the river, nobody would know to ask about unless someone had told them they were there. And so kind of that there's this responsibility given in that that they were to maybe bring their children to the bank of the river and tell them, hey, you can't see it now, but there are 12 stones stacked in the middle of this river where all of us walked across. And I was thinking in, in my own life um, that there's been plenty of not so obvious ways that God's worked and moved in my life. And that when I don't share those, when I don't make those obvious, they're as hidden as rocks at the bottom of a river. And so kind of what is our responsibility as we share our stories and to make those, those hidden things more obvious? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, uh, another thing that I, that I was thinking through here is, you know, we, we make the parallel of crossing the Jordan with, with crossing the Red Sea, like at the very beginning of their, their journey and their wandering. Um, so, but, the, but what I started thinking about though was that these people that were getting ready to cross the Jordan were at best small children, probably. Um, I'm trying to think of just the ramifications of, of generations being uh, excluded from the, the promised land. Sure. Um, but, but they were like, at best, they probably just had stories of crossing the Red Sea. Um, and so, um, which, which, so like, again, when I read this, I'm like, oh man, they, they're, they're remembering this. Like this is giving them flashbacks of, uh, of crossing the Red Sea. And in reality, they probably don't have an actual memory of that. The only memory would be that those stories. I think it was over 20 was, it was those over 20 did not. So that means. So over 20 in that. This means that there was no one other than Joshua and Caleb. I don't believe there was anyone over 60. Wow. And so, you know, you, you put the context of that. That means that the oldest ones of them would have had a 40-year-old memory of being a child in slavery. Hmm. Yeah. If, if that, I, I believe that is the, and so, and, and so some of them, <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting. So they're going to be getting the story from those who really didn't experience a lot of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, which which is is fascinating because like we always read this story, the story of wandering in the in the story of the promised land, and we and we kind of harp on them for like quickly forgetting about where they had come from. But but we kind of miss that part where like this is a long period of time. It's not like it was just the week before that that they were delivered from slavery, um, and so that memory is totally reliant upon stories being told uh, and passed down from generation to generation, which gives us a whole lot of responsibility, right? right. <laughs> to pass down stories. And, and maybe that's why God lost that generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, because it seemed like most, when they got in the wilderness, began to see slavery in a different light. Hmm. And so the stories that they were hearing from those that remembered the slavery were from Joshua and Caleb, who would say, slavery 
stunk. Yeah. <laughs> it was better to wander in the wilderness with God as opposed to having, you know, a large group of them saying, no, nah, well, slavery wasn't that bad. At least we had all we wanted to eat right. and it was stable. We weren't wandering around. And, hmm. and, and so, you know, they're, they're, I think there's a perspective. And so what stories are we telling the next yeah. generation becomes an important thing too. Uh, you, you know, if, if everything, hmm. if, if we cannot create excitement and say, listen, God has been so much better than I expected. And it wasn't that great before yeah. him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think yeah. there's a little bit of that in this story mm-hmm. as well. well. I think that's kind of one of the, the evils of slavery in itself is that it, it causes one group of people to make another group of people truly believe that they are less than human, that that is, um, that all they are meant for is to be subdued and to be used mm. and to be owned as property. And so when you think about the mental the mental health of these people yeah. coming out of slavery, mm. that they they really believe that, that they have been told that was their purpose in life, was to serve other people. And so then to try to understand what does that mean to serve a living God and to, lead, to have him lead you and follow you when you um, maybe can't see with your hands what you are making, what you are doing for him, I feel like that would have been very difficult for them to... Yeah to be able to understand and, and walk in. Yeah, I keep coming, perspective. I mean, the, the, um, you know, I know we've been preaching that, but this, this to live in this story, the perspective of, of circumstances and others, the perspective of ourselves, mm-hmm. who yeah. we are, uh, you know, that's, you know, the Bethel song, no longer a slave, uh, you know, mm-hmm. resonates because we are not slaves, uh, but, but also, you know, this, this perspective of the past. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't really have that in the notes, but the, the older I get, it seems like uh, the more I realize how important it is how you handle your past. Um, yeah. People's past, I mean, you, you don't have to be on Facebook very long to see somebody harking about a relationship or a past event that, right. you know, this is, and, and our past can have a, such a, a dire effect or a great effect on us, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. depending on how we handle it. No, and our past can lie to us. I mean, we talked on Sunday, uh, Reckless Love, about, talk, about tearing down lies. Like, they had believed the lie that they were that they were slaves. They had believed, I mean, sin mm-hmm. lies to us in our lives and tells us we are trapped there, that there's no hope for us, that the best we can do is the best we can do. And um, I think we are called to more than that. And that God will tear down those lies, those ways that our past comes back to haunt us. Like. I absolutely believe he wants to deliver us from that. That's good. That's good. Which those those lies or on on the flip side, overcoming those lies, I think truly comes from the words that other people can say, right? Yeah. So like as a pastor, are the words that I'm speaking to uh, to my teens, are they words that um, that are speaking truth? Are the stories that I'm telling speaking truth into to their lives into who they are um and who they actually are so the stories the the words that we pass down have a huge impact um yeah i'm thinking of you two and and both of you have that that great privilege of, of teaching kids and teens and uh you know not not all the things that are said to our kids and our teens are positive mm-hmm. and so you guys have that balancing effect and your words matter that that you can tell them you can write a different narrative uh, of who they are uh, of, of who they can be of, of what god has in mind for them what an awesome privilege and it, and it is and i don't take that lightly and i know that you don't take that lightly either 
but I would even push that further that like we all have <laughs> like our words have that potential. And so the things that you say about next generations and, you know, this young generation and, and the words that you say, man, like that is, that is significant and it's impactful. And so when we say things about the next generation in a negative light, like that's not speaking truth into who they are. And so it, we, and we do have that privilege and we recognize that privilege, but man, it's, it's not just us. It's all of us uh, in, in the words that we speak priesthood of all believers exactly yeah 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 the words i mean the things we hear about ourselves as children those do those become our inner voice Mm -hmm. that's how we learn to see ourselves and when i hear a kid tell me that he's um been called a a motor mouth or he just no he's nonstop. Mm -hmm. all like all of these things that we sometimes say about kids and we we think we're saying them in in jest in Mm -hmm. joke when we when you see a kid internalize that like there is something heart-wrenching in knowing that if the first thought that he has about himself is not a positive one. Yeah. The first thought that he has is not this dearly loved child of God who is unique and gifted to do something great, but yet it's a negative. It's something about himself that he needs to hide or fix yeah. or change. And um, yeah, I just I think we do need to do a better job of, of speaking life and speaking truth into our kids. And sometimes the truth is not always rainbows and butterflies. but I think that there is a a, a tension between grace and truth in that when we are sharing something and we want it to be shared and and taken to heart that we need to season that with grace and in a way that we're going to move them forward, not just tear them down. Yeah. I guess now I'm a little bit confused because I was called a motor mouth (laughs) (laughs) and I guess I didn't know that was negative. (laughs) If you want your kid to become a preacher, just call him a motor mouth. It's just a lot easier to talk than listen at times. And see, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a negative unless it's used in a negative way. I mean, to tell someone that they are a gifted communicator and that, man, you always have something Uh, to say and you always talk. But that's a different thing than saying, man, you talk too much. Gifted communicators are far shy from motor mouth. I have have a kid who is a gifted storyteller. I mean, he is an orator in the making. And I never want him to think that he talks too much, but I do want him to learn how to how to communicate effectively yeah, and yeah. how to listen as sure. much as he talks. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's kind of wrap this up. Just talking about memorial stones. Yeah. The, the practical, and, and, and that's the, the thing with, with scripture, you know, there's interesting things and, 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 and all this is interesting and practical too, as well. I'm not saying that what we've not talked about is practical, but, but what are you guys as memorial stones? What, what do you look back at that helps you stay centered? Not in the past, <laughs> but on the future, what are, what are some of your memorial stones? Yeah, I have a Bible that uh, it's it's a it's a student Bible, kind of a, a teen Bible that I bought when I was uh, when I was in in youth group. Um, we had started a kind of a senior high Friday night Bible study. On the way here, I was trying to remember the name of the Bible study. I can't remember. I, it, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> I wanted to remember. Um, but I, I went. I didn't have uh, you know. I, uh, had a kid Bible still, and so I went out and bought a uh, a student study Bible uh, and, and used that, and uh, and I still have it. I actually, that's still my preferred Bible when I when I preach on Sunday. I still it's it's a student teen Bible, but I just love it. It has I, I took it through so through youth group and in those Bible studies, and I have notes in there. Uh, I took it to Mount Vernon with me, and so in my my theology classes, like the the entire uh, first few 
books of the Bible or just have so from Old Testament theology, uh, just so many things marked up. Uh, and, and, and again, I just, I love it. Uh, I look back in it and there's, there's things that I remember uh, that, that God taught me and God brought me through. Uh, from those notes in there, and, and again, it's a it's a teen Bible, but I, it's just it's my go to Bible now. Uh, I preach from it. It's just uh, I love it. Yeah. Good, Mara. Yeah. See, I I don't think I'm alone in this. My memory is very much triggered by items and by things, and um, I feel like holding a certain coffee mug can immediately mm -hmm. transport me back to a certain time in my life, hearing a song on the radio. So I feel like there's lots of things when I think about like wandering through my house during the day, there are just lots of things in my house that I feel like I can, I can look at that and it can immediately take me to a place and I start to think about how God was working in my life during that time. I mean, I know you mentioned on Sunday, Reed with his scar from his heart surgery. I mean, I feel like that's one of those things that I see every day. And so there is no, there's no forgetting that season yeah. in our lives. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Obviously, I mean, I never would have chosen that story, yeah. but I'm thankful that we can look at a scar, which is a sign of healing. Yeah. And also to know everything that came through that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's just lots. I'm, I'm also a big journaler. And so I do love every once in a while to sit back and just read through what I was struggling with, where I was growing, where I thought God was leading me, and then to find out that he, he was there, but it totally took a, a left turn that I never saw coming. Um, and so yeah, I, I enjoyed sharing with our kids. Um, this past week, Reed was talking, and he knows, he knows about his scar. We talk about it. And he just very matter-of-factly said, um, he pointed to his scar and I reminded him, yeah, that you had your heart surgery. And he said, yeah, or I would have died. <laughs> and just, just very matter of factly, yeah. but, um, and that's hard to hear as his mom. Yeah. <laughs> but to know even that my, he's not even three years old yet. And he knows how God was working in his life and that he, um, if not for that, that, that would have been the outcome. Um, I think I was like, okay, that, that's what, that's what we wanted for him. We wanted him to know his story. Yeah, that's good. And so, it, you know, it could be deeply ingrained in him uh, from an early age uh, that God has been at work in his life. And uh, you know, as we kind of wind this up, I, I guess there's a, a couple takeaways that I hope that those that are listening will, will receive. The first is that you're called to lead, <laughs> mm -hmm. that you're, you're not, we're not, we're called to follow, but in our following, we're leading. And everyone has someone that's watching them, that's listening to them. Uh, watch your words because it matters what you say um, and, it, and it matters how you hear what's said to you and find those memorial stones god god is faithful and he he will continue to be faithful any thoughts as we wind up guys it's been good 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 yeah. to have josh back with us yeah this week had a great time with david last week and yeah. it's good to be sitting here together and so i'm going to pray us out today and uh martin i was the only last thought i had was just this idea that they built this first memorial and they, were, they had not even really inhabited the promised land mm -hmm. yet. So they already had memorials. They were already talking mm -hmm. about God being at work when they had not yet even realized the fullness of his promise oh, and God. what um, what he was going to do for them. So I think sometimes, and I've talked about this a few times, like we kind of wait to start sharing how God's working until we see oh, yeah. the, the happy ending, yeah. the fullness of something. And I think it's important to um, be building those memorials, finding those memorial stones in the middle. I mean, if they built it in the middle of the river, everybody wasn't even across yet. If the river was still dried up, everybody wasn't across and they were already building a memorial to what God had done. So I just find some challenges in, in my own life to be like, how am I memorializing what he's doing right now? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
instead of waiting to see what he's going to do. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Well, let's, um, let's close in prayer then. Lord, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for the lessons we learned. Thank you for this, uh, this time that we can talk together as a staff. And Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless our church, be with our church. May we uh, set up memorial stones so that those that follow us will easily see that God has been at work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. 